this summer we're exploring together how it is that we discern what it is that God calls us to do, each of us individually and all of us together. The word for this is vocation, which comes from the Latin word vocari, which means to call, vocation. God calls us to live our lives on purpose for the common good. Our vocations are personal to each individual, but they are discerned and lived out in community. We have multiple vocations throughout our life and multiple vocations at the same time. We are not created for production value, but we are created in such a way that we find joy and fulfillment doing some things and not other things. So let's figure out what those things are and do them. The first week we talked about how discerning our vocation begins with listening to our longings, paying attention to what lights us up and also what breaks our hearts. The second week we talked about openness. Discerning our vocation includes being open to what can happen in the future, to what has already happened in the past, and to what is happening right now. Last week we talked about naming and living into our values. And this week, we're going to talk about experiencing God's presence in everyday life. Author Barbara Brown Taylor has this great quote in her book, An Altar in the World. She says, Earth is so thick with divine possibility that it is a wonder we can walk anywhere without cracking our shins on altars. Which is a lovely sentiment. But I suspect that a lot of us don't go through our normal days feeling like we're cracking our shins on altars. And why not? Well, I think it's because Jesus is pretty clear that the kingdom of God shows up in sneaky and small and unexpected ways. We really love the stories of God doing big, dramatic, obvious things. But let's be honest, that's not how God typically works. Which means we have to train ourselves to pay attention differently, which we'll talk about next week. Experiencing the holy in everyday life is a spiritual discipline. If we choose to be deliberate about it, we will grow in it. We will have more experiences of God's presence when we actually look for it and think about it and not just sit around waiting for it to smack us in the face. Because, dear ones, I think the Bible is clear that God wants to be found. If God feels hidden, then it's because there's something for us in the seeking. We like the end result. We like the finding. But over and over again, I think what we see in the scriptures is God saying that what really matters for us, what helps us grow, is the experience, the process of seeking. So if you feel like you don't see a lot of God or experience a lot of God in the world, don't worry. If that is something that you want, you can grow in that. Let's read a little story from the Old Testament that illustrates this point. 
It's in the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to set the stage a little bit for you. This story happens during the time when the two kingdoms of Israel and Judah were divided. So after the time of King Solomon. Both kingdoms, the north and the south, were falling further and further into greed and violence and religious hypocrisy, specifically including idolatry or worshiping the gods of the people who lived around them. And during this time, God continued to send prophets to warn the people, and one of those prophets was a man named Elijah. He was speaking truth to power during the time of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, which is probably a name you know, even if you don't know anything about the actual story, when many people in the country were worshiping the god called Baal, which was a Canaanite god. The story we are going to read this morning happens right after Elijah has had a great triumph, but... That triumph results in Jezebel threatening to kill him. So he goes on the run. At this point, when we pick up the story, he has been hiding in the desert and has made his way to the mountain of Horeb, which is another name for Sinai, which is where God gave the Ten Commandments. So just have that context in your mind as we read this story. We're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19, Starting in verse 9. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? It's great when God says that to you, isn't it? What are you doing here? Elijah answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. And God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence, or some translations say a still small voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance to his cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, which is in the north in the kingdom of Israel, And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu son of Nimshi as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha son of Shaphat of Abel-Mehaloah as prophet in your place. This is the word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. 
The reason you have to go to seminary is so you can read those kinds of names smoothly in worship. There is so much that we could say about this story this morning, but what I want to point out as we think about experiencing God's presence and as we prepare for communion is that before and after that encounter, God asks Elijah a question about vocation. What are you doing here? And both times, Elijah gives exactly the same answer. Verbatim. At the end, though, God gives Elijah a new vocation or a renewed one. Elijah gets instructions about what's next for him. But that always begs the question for people of what happened on the mountain. And I will tell you, I'm not sure. The story is weird and frankly not very clear. Here's what I think is clear. First, God wants to be found. God invites Elijah to be present to God's presence. God is going to pass by. God wants to be found. Second, God does not show up in the ways that are expected. God does not show up in the dramatic ways. We expect as the original hearers of this story would have expected for God to be in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. But God was not in those things. If we are going to find the God who wants to be found, we're going to need to let go of some of our expectations about how and when and where that's going to happen. And finally, whatever happens in this encounter with God, it is a prelude to God speaking about Elijah's vocation. God wants to communicate to us about what we are called to do. But those communications may not come in the ways that we expect. So how do you experience God in your everyday life? You personally. It's going to be different for everyone. But this morning, I want to push you just a little bit. I'm going to push you to think deeper than just, where do I feel good? Or where do I feel peace? I bet that most of you would say that you feel peace or connection with God's presence when you're in some kind of natural setting, right? That's very common for humans. But we're talking about something else this morning. Let me say very clearly, you should regularly be in places where you feel good and peaceful. That is important. If you are not doing that for yourself, I would love to talk to you and encourage you and brainstorm with you. There's some really good people in this church who are good at thinking about tactics and habits. You should be in spaces where you feel good and peaceful. That should not be unusual. But that's not all there is to experiencing God's presence. Let me explain. <clears throat> For those of you who do ministry at the jail, do you feel God's presence there? Do you feel good 
Sometimes. Yeah. Maybe not all the time, though. Experiencing God's presence is more than just feeling good. Sometimes it doesn't feel peaceful because God is agitating you for your own good and the good of the world. Sometimes it feels like a fire shut up in your bones, as the prophet Jeremiah said. When we are thinking about where and how we experience God's presence in a way that helps us discern our vocations, we want to move past the easy answer of where we feel good and push to think about where we feel significant teachers when it's not easy. What feels weighty? Those who work in other kinds of community service. Or meaningful, those who spend a lot of time taking care of small children. And even, I would say, especially in the places and situations that are hard and uncomfortable for us. Now, let me be clear. I am not saying that the place you least want to be is where God calls you. That's an over-exaggerated statement that has been used in harmful ways in some churches. Those of you who were with me in Evangelical Youth Group in the 90s know exactly what I'm talking about. But I am saying that God does not just call us to do things that are easy for us. Right? God calls us to do things that are hard because they matter to the world and because doing them is actually going to bring us tremendous fulfillment as we live into being who we are created to be. So dig deeper. Past the easy solutions and the obvious answers. It's not just where do you experience God, but what is it that you are experiencing and why is it in that place in particular? It's not just that you see God in a tree. It's that you see God's creativity and power. What is it that this particular place or situation shows you about what God has created or provided or done or revealed to you? Dig deeper past your generic good feelings. And finally, as we come to the communion table this morning, we remember that this sacrament is one of the places we can expect to always experience God's presence. The real presence of the creator, redeemer, and sustainer, the source, the word, and the holy breath, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is with us in the incredibly ordinary everyday elements of bread and cup. The real presence of God is manifested not in the most expensive gourmet meal we can make, but in the plain food that is available to everyone, everywhere. When we dig deeper here, we acknowledge that we experience God here, not just because the elements taste good, but because they remind us that God came to live in a body like ours. 
one that got hungry and thirsty and tired. And not in the body of a world leader or a multi-billionaire, but in the body of someone who made a living from the work of his hands, who was on the underside of society, whose skin color and heritage made him vulnerable to the power structures. This is what we experience when we come to the communion table. God's table, not our table. God issues the invitation to all, and it is simply our privilege to pass the plates to each other. We insist, as our ancestors have before us, that this is the joyful feast of the people of God, where people of all ages, races, and sexes People in every type of body come from the north, south, east, and west and gather at this table with the risen Christ, who is the host at all our tables. Here at Zion United Church of Christ, we celebrate at an open table, which means that every single person is welcome to eat and drink regardless of your spiritual background or current beliefs. If you are a guest with us this morning, please hear me very clearly. If you want to eat and drink with Jesus, you are welcome. But also, we don't force anyone to participate. You're welcome to just stay in your seat when everyone else comes forward and remain prayerful with us. All are welcome, none are forced. We also try to make sure that everyone can participate. Gluten-free bread looks a little bit different and is marked. And with the liquid, with the liquid, the red is wine and the clear is non-alcoholic juice. This morning, as we take communion, uh, Mike and Joyce and I will come to the end of each section, and I invite you to exit down the row to your right, whichever side you're in. Come forward. You can take the bread and take the cup. You can eat them immediately and leave the empty vessels in the basket, or you can take them back to your seats if you want to. And then you just go back by the left-hand aisle. We'll serve one section at a time. As always, we begin our communion celebration with a confession. Around here, we don't use shame and fear to motivate each other, but that doesn't mean that everything we do is good and fine. We all fall short of God's glory, and we are all justified freely by God's grace. Confession is our moment to acknowledge the things that are present in our lives that we would like to get rid of, and we all have them. Let's face them and not hide from them, because only when we face them can we be free of them. So let's admit what it is that we've been holding against ourselves, and realize that God is not holding anything against us. Let's confess together this morning. I will start us so you can join me on the words in bold. Most merciful God, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and we cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and follow in your ways to the glory of your name. And now I invite you to take a moment to silently reflect and offer your own confession as you see fit.
Friends, according to the proclamation of Jesus in the scriptures, and through the power of his righteous life, death, and resurrection, be assured that God hears our prayers and has already forgiven us. Forgive yourselves and forgive each other as God in Christ has forgiven us all. Come to the table and receive the living word made flesh. And now would you join me in the great thanksgiving. God be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to God most high. It is Source of all, you created a planet full of life, including we humans who are each and all created in your image. You taught our ancestors how to live in your world by giving them challenges as well as hope. You brought our forebears out of captivity in Egypt into fullness of life. You sent your prophets to teach us. And most of all, you sent to us your child Jesus, the word made flesh, who showed us through his loving example how you love us. You call us to follow in the path of Jesus, empowering us with your holy breath to carry your message of hope and justice to the world. And so we join with all creation to praise you, crying, holy, 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 God of love and majesty, the whole universe shouts your glory. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of our God. Hosanna in the highest. Let us hear again our common story, the one that shapes us. We remember that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, whatever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you join your hearts with mine as I pray a prayer of blessing on these elements? God, who is love, as you were broken and poured out for us, we acknowledge our brokenness, and we offer ourselves ready to be poured out in service to you on behalf of all people. Send your Holy Spirit on this bread and on this cup, on each of us and on all of us. As we eat and drink together, rekindle in us a passion for doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with you. In this ritual, we declare that you are the Holy One who has conquered sin and death and calls us from death to life. Amen. Friends, if you um, are not able to come down the aisles, all you need to do is raise your hand and Mike and Leela will gladly bring the elements to you. But would you come forward and let's serve this morning.
Friends, would you join me in the great Thanksgiving that's printed in your bulletins? And on screen. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the gift of our Savior's presence in the simplicity and splendor of this holy meal. Unite us with all who are fed by Christ so that we may faithfully proclaim the good news of your love, making your universal church a rainbow of light in an uncertain world.